This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. means if you're here, you survive the fireworks. Bless you. Good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. And if you've got a Bible, go with me to 2 Peter. We'll get going here in just a little bit. 2 Peter is where I'm going to begin today. As you saw some of the things up there, we will begin on the 19th on a series called The Blessing. And I, I believe it will be really significant. Again, what that is is learning to walk in the blessing instead of the curse. And I've been given a curse in my own life. I know what that's like. And so God, he sets people free of all that. So blessings to all of you. If you're watching by the live stream, we welcome you this morning too. Again, we believe our church is very safe. So again, I welcome all of you. Go to the second Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. Now, I'm going to ask all of you of all the ages, really, really try to pay attention today, okay? Because there's going to be some things that you'll begin to see biblically. We... We play for high stakes, and what I mean by that is the consequences of our choices are eternal. And so Peter gives us some great, great insight in this, but also I'm going to put some hope in on you. If you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're here today and you may have family members, whether it's children, grandchildren, maybe nieces, nephews, maybe siblings that aren't serving God like you know they need to, this, this day will help you, okay? We're going to give you great biblical insight on that. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, we're going to be here for a little bit, so hang in here. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, this was a warning for Peter. And he's beginning to give us insight that as the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, there will be false teachers It is happening rapidly. How am I able to determine if they're a false teacher? Keep reading. Among you will secretly, will secretly bring in heresies or destructive heresies. Now, that word heresies was interesting because it has the meaning of having an option, a preference, an opinion, substituting self-willed opinions for submission to the truth. I like this one, the people professing opinions independent of the truth. And so he says right here, they're going to secretly begin to come in. And the way I begin to determine it, do they line up with the Bible? Do they line up with the Word of God? Now, if you've been coming for the last several months This has kind of been the theme over and over throughout the Bible, that the end times will be marked by a lot of foolish teaching. Peter's warning. Denying the Lord who brought them and bringing on themselves swift destruction. Swift. Verse 2. And many, you may underline that, and many will follow their destructive ways. Many will follow their destructive ways. And so when you see the word many, this is what it tells me. They will be able to gather a pretty pretty large crowd. 
And what it'll be based off is because of their destructive ways. In other words, they start giving humanity permission. You can live however you want. It's not true. Because the way of the truth will be blasphemed. The way of the truth will be slandered. Now, he's given us great insight that this will mark the end times. This will mark the end of this age. That deceptive teachers are going to get stronger and stronger. Verse number three. By covetous, covetousness or greed, the love of money, they will exploit you with deceptive words or just flat out lies. For a long time their judgment has been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And so the Lord's telling us right here, there's going to be judgment for what they do. So when we look at what Peter talks about in verses 2 and 3, he gives us three insights of what's going to take place. They're going to be able to start speaking about immorality. It's okay. It's not okay if it doesn't line up with the Bible. Stay with the word. Number two, he said greed. They will be marked with greed. That will be their goal. And the third area was deceptive words, or better stated, they will lie. They will say anything that sounds good. Warning, strong, strong. That's why I said every age must listen to this, okay? Stay with the word. The word of God is not outdated. That's why it's important. Get you a Bible and read it. Verse 4. Now, as I begin here, you're going to see Peter use three analogies about judgment. Judgment will take place, okay? The Bible talks about this, that when the end comes, we will all stand before Father God and give an account of what we've done with our time here on the earth. Verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels, God did not spare the angels who sinned. God did not spare the angels who rebelled. Now, if you're not aware of what he's talking about, way, way, way back in the Bible, a third of the angels were deceived by the devil and they followed him. They rebelled against God. And it says right here, God did not spare these angels. God was not lenient to these angels. God did not let them off the hook. But he cast them down to hell. Now, hell is not a topic we like to talk about, but... Hell is a real place, okay? It's not an imagination. It's, it's a real place. And when I see the words that describe hell, it's a place of gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the fire and the worm never go out. It's not a place where people want to go. And I, I heard a guy not long ago who made this comment. He said, you know what? I'm okay going to hell and spending the rest of my life partying and hanging out with all my friends. He's got a warped view of hell. Listen what he says about hell here. And he delivered them into the chains of darkness. When you see the chains of darkness, hell is a place where it will always be dark. You will never see. 
It will be a place of the ultimate loneliness. And he goes on to say, which was reserved for judgment. So you see here, even when the angels rebelled, you see the consistency of what God did. That's the first analogy. Verse 5. And he did not spare the ancient world or ancient society or civilization, but he saved Noah, one of eight people. So when he says here he did not spare the old world, let me highlight something to you again. He wasn't lenient with them. He didn't let them off the hook. So when you see the word Noah there, Noah is part of the 10th generation from creation. It went Adam to all the way to Noah. From Adam to Noah, mankind began to spiral out of control. When you go back and look why, it was a thing called sin. So if you note here in verse 5, he said, he did not spare them. But he saved Noah. God is into saving people, one of eight people. Why did he save Noah? He was a preacher of righteousness. Better stated, he was a voice of righteousness. He told people the truth. He told people for 120 years that the the Lord is going to flood this earth. There's going to be consequences for not turning to him. But you know what? They would never repent. They would never heed. So it goes on to say, bringing in on the flood in the world on the ungodly. When you study uh, the Bible there, Genesis 6 in that area, you find out real quick there was a flood that ended mankind except for eight people. Verse number 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied this, but the area of Sodom and Gomorrah right now is right around the Dead Sea, which geologically is the lowest point on all the earth. If you were to study the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, there are are pillars of salt still there to this day. And so when he says that they were destroyed into ashes, They were literally incinerated. So for that to to take place, remember this. God wasn't lenient. He didn't let them off the hook. Keep reading. And he condemned them to destruction. The word condemned literally means they were sentenced in a court of law. And the verdict against them was they didn't have the right to exist anymore because of their ungodliness. So these are real stories, real passages that we read, and we begin to see that when every one of them, God had punishment for them. He goes on to end in verse 6, and he says this, making them example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Making them an example to those afterward who would live ungodly. This is written for us. This becomes an example for us is what he's talking about. And in the end of verse 5 and the end of verse 6, he referenced them as ungodly. So I want every age in here to understand 
there will come a time when there will be judgment. See, in our society, we have several teachings that come out and say stuff like this. God's going to save everybody. In order for God to save everybody, you know what that means? He must excuse judgment. For God to excuse judgment, you know what that would mean? He's a respecter of persons. So we see with the angels, we see during Noah's time, we see in Sodom and Gomorrah, the consistency of the word of God. I don't tell you this to to tell this uh, uh, fire, uh, turn or burn uh, message. That's not my goal. My goal is to make you aware biblically, God will judge every one of us. Keep reading. And he delivered righteous lot. Interesting statement there. Who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Now what I'm going to do later on here this morning. I'm going to take you back into Lot's time. To show you how some of that looked. But Lot was living in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the wording here that Peter uses is eye-opening to me. It said, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Some translations for the, way, the, the wording of oppressed will mean vexed. The word vexed means that because of what he saw on a daily basis, he began to deteriorate. He began to break down. One translation says it was total exhaustion. Better yet, because of what he saw day after day, it literally drove him out of his mind. Now, when I begin to study the things that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah, it has nothing on America, okay? And so day by day, Lot saw this. Verse number 8. For the righteous man was dwelling among them. When you see that Lot was dwelling among them, the reason he was dwelling among them is he chose to live there. He chose to move there. He chose to try to fit in. He knew that it was a very wicked place, but he still chose to dwell there among them. And because he chose to dwell there among them, it began to get him off track spiritually and even morally. Keep reading. And so he dwelled among them, And he tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So when I looked at this, do you know the things you're seeing and the things you're hearing on a daily basis has the ability to callous you to the things of God? It has the ability to begin to deteriorate you. And so when you see what he's talking about here, I've got to be careful the times I live in what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. But here's an interesting thing for you. Not only did this happen to Lot, this happened to his wife and his children. They were put into this same predicament. And so, again, day by day, day by day, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? Verse number 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation... And to reserve the unjust and punishment for the day of judgment. And especially 
those who walk according to the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous. They are self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. So he ends in verse 10 and he says, mark my words, there's coming a day when people are going to be judged. And he said, very hard when they get over into to the things of the flesh, when they despise authority. Now, I don't want to end with that thought right there. I want you to look real close at verse number 9, what he says. And this is the one that gives me great insight. Then the Lord knows how to deliver or to rescue the godly out of temptation. I begin to look at that little sentence there that he said. The Lord knows how to deliver or rescue the godly out of temptation. How does God do that? What does that look like? Does God still rescue the godly? I believe he does. And so go way back into the Old Testament to the book of Genesis chapter 18. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to pick up right here so you can get a biblical idea exactly of what Peter was talking about today. And I'm going to tell you what it'll do. I believe it'll stir up within you to realize God wants to hear your prayers. God wants to use you right here on earth. So in order to understand this a little bit, if we were to go back to Genesis 12, you're going to Genesis 18. In Genesis 12, the Lord told this guy named Abraham, he said, hey, listen, I want to bless you. I want to multiply you. I want to make your name great. I want to bless you to be a blessing, but you got to obey me. You got to get out of your father's house. You got to get out of your country. And you got to get away from your family. You know why? They were a bunch of idol worshipers. Now, this isn't easy. I don't know if you heard his instruction. Sometimes you got to get away from family. How I many of you ever figured that out? I got to break up with my family. Why? Because every time I get around my family, I do stupid stuff. Have you ever been there? That's why I got my hand up. And so this was the warning. Now, when you look at Abraham, Abraham walked in incredible blessings. And many times he said, man, I want the blessings of Abraham. But in order to get the blessings of Abraham, I got to do what Abraham did. He loved God. He actually obeyed God. And he left his family. He left everything. And so if we were to go to chapter 13, you would begin to find out this guy named Abraham, he was blessed. He had so many oxen and camels. I mean, he had everything. Imagine the the message translation says he was loaded. He was blessed beyond measure. And so because there was such blessings on him, this guy named Lot that we referenced there was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham's nephew, Lot's dad, was Haran. Haran was killed. And so Uncle Abraham said, you can come with me. Well, because Uncle Abraham was such a blessed individual, Lot became blessed. And they got so blessed that they started having fights among their their shepherds. And so Abraham looks at Lot and he says this to him. He said, let there be no strife between me and you. So you know what he says to him? He said, I'm going to give you first choice. If you pick the land to the right, then I'll take the left. If you pick the left, I'll go to the right. Do you know, I believe there was a sign of Abraham's character was revealed right there in his choices. 
You know why he told him, whatever you choose, I'll do the other? Because Abraham knew in his heart, it doesn't matter where I live, I'm going to serve God. It doesn't matter if I'm in this area, I'm going to serve God. I've proven I'm going to serve God. So when you study old Lot, you know what Lot does? He, he takes the land near Sodom and Gomorrah, even though he knew it was wicked. Even though he knew they were sinful, he said, this is where I'm going to go. And so literally, I don't believe Lot counted the cost. And what I mean by counting the cost, he literally moved where the grass was greener. And number two, I believe he moved there because he wanted to be viewed as influential. He wanted to be viewed as something special. But he didn't realize what he was doing. What he was putting his family into. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot for you, I know. So the start of Genesis 18, these three angels show up at Abraham's house. And they tell Abraham and his wife, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. I don't know if you've ever read this story, but when he tells Sarah you're going to have a baby, she starts laughing. Yeah, all right, buddy. I'm going to have a baby. Well, you know why she said, I'm going to have a baby, and she laughed? She was almost 90 years old. You know, I put myself in that story. If an angel showed up to me tonight and said, Shelly's going to have a baby, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh. That's not going to happen. Do you know what the Bible says that when she laughed? It says she laughed because she was beyond the years of having a baby. I guess so. How many of you here ever known a 90-year-old having a baby? That's a crazy thought for me. But what the Lord said to Sarah, he said, what's impossible with man is possible with me. And she had a baby, and his name was Isaac. So we pick up in Genesis 18, verse 16. Now, I'm going to put some hope in you here today, okay? Let the Word of God teach you. And it says, then the men... And where it says men, these were actually angels. The Bible's clear in the book of Hebrews that many of you have, under, many of you have entertained strangers and you were unaware that they were angels. So evidently angels can come in a form of a man. And so he goes on to say, Then the men rose from there, and they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. But Abraham doesn't know right here. They're on assignment from God. They're going to Sodom to look to say, Is there enough evidence to condemn them? Verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? See, God didn't want to hide from you and me what he's going to do. He loves to tell his children what he's going to do. Listen to this. This is Psalms 25, verse 14 in the passage translation. It says, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. Psalms 25, 14. You know what that tells me? God likes to let you know what his promises are. He likes to let his children in on his secrets. He likes to let us know how he's going to bless us. Verse 17, verse 18. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now listen to verse 19. 
For I have known him in order that he may command his children, his household after him, that he keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So one of the reasons that God says, I want Abraham to know what I'm going to do, is because God knew Abraham would teach his children about the things of God. Abraham would specifically invest in his children. And he'd tell them, serve God. Live for God. Be good to people. And so when we begin to see some of these things, we have the thought, I, I want God to tell me, my, tell him, tell me his secrets. I, I want God to show me this and this and this. But again, do I obey God? Do I do what God tells me? Verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very flagrant or grievous, I've got to go down there and see now whether they have done all together according to the outcry against it, and it has come to me. If not, I will know. Now what this means, God is sending these angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if their actions are worthy of, of not being right to exist anymore. God, he, he judges righteously. Actually, when you see this, the outcry against it confirms that God's judgment is perfect and accurately weighed. So guess what happens? When humanity gets to a place where we're so wicked and evil, God begins to look and remember what it said he condemned them to death. So these angels are going to go and look and say, does this need to take place? Is it that bad? Verse 22. Then the men turned. Uh, they turned away from there and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And so what happens here is the reason Abraham did this is he knew. When these angels get to Sodom, it's not going to be good. So this is where me and you come into play today. Verse 23. And Abraham came near and he said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham came near Father God. And he said to Father God, Would you? Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And so you know what I see here Abraham's doing? He's pleading on behalf of humanity. He's interceding on behalf of humanity. He's standing in the gap on behalf of humanity. And he's partnering with God. And he's saying, Father God, would you actually destroy the wicked with the righteous? It shows me a couple things. That God listens to the prayers of the righteous. That's James 5, 16. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. God longs for you to pray. He longs to hear what you say. Verse 24. And he says, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy this place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? And so he starts praying to Father God, and he asks God these questions. Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, 
so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And so when I read this, I I believe with all my heart, you know what he's saying there? You're not the God who would destroy the wicked with the righteous. I, I know you, Father God. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't act in that way. Far be it from you. And he says that twice. Verse 26. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I, him who but in dust and ashes, have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. You see how reverent he was. Did you see what he said? He said, I am but dust and ashes. You know what that means? I'm the creation. I realize I'm just the creation. But would the creator, the the great judge right here is what he's talking about, will he spare the place for their stakes? And, And so he ends up saying there, dusted ashes, but I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. And you know what he's saying? You're the creator. You allow the creation to come before the create the creation to come before the creator. You allow us to partner with you. And so I don't know if you know the rest of the story, but it goes from 50 to 45 to 40. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't destroy it if there were 30. And remember, he gets all the way down to 10. And God said. I won't destroy it if there's even 10. When I begin to look at why Abraham did this, you know why he was doing this? Because Abraham knew if God could just find 10 that would live by the word of God, those 10 would have the capability to teach the others, to influence them, and be examples to them. And so that's why Abraham would say, would you you spare it for just 10? But the other side of this is, you know what I see? This this bothered Abraham that people would actually die and go to hell or be destroyed. I don't know about you, does it bother you that people will die and go to hell? It bothers me. I, I don't like that thought. And so if we were to go ahead and read the rest of the passage, you know what happens? He can't find 10. He can't find 10. So I want to give you a little thought here. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus, he lists two roads. And he said there's two roads. One road is is wide. It's broad. It's a road that's easy and many are on it, but it's the road that leads to destruction. But there's another road called the narrow road. And he said there's just a few on it. And it's difficult, but it's the road that leads to life. If you think serving Jesus, you're going to win a popularity contest, it's not going to happen. But if I'll serve Jesus with all my heart, I experience life. I truly live. It's this narrow road, but the ones who find it, they find life. Verse number 33. So the Lord went his way, and as soon as he has finished speaking with Abraham, 
And Abraham returned to his place. God allowed Abraham to stand in the gap on behalf of people. Now if I was to read the rest of this passage to you. Only three and a half people make it. And the reason I say a half. Lot and his two daughters make it. His wife was going to make it. But she turned back. And when she turned back, she was destroyed. I highlight that because God doesn't want you turning back. So when I read what takes place here, when the Lord said through Peter in 2 Peter 2, 9, how does the Lord know how to deliver the righteous? He knows how to deliver the righteous when we pray. If we'll continue to pray, if we'll continue to stand, if we'll continue to believe God and trust God because I see God's no respecter of persons, when he allowed Uncle Abraham's prayers for his nephew Lot, the only reason I believe Lot made it was because Abraham prayed. And so our God is in the business of rescuing. And so you may have family members that aren't, don't give up, okay? Actually, I pray this anchors you today. And so as I read all this, I begin to think, how many of us have a heart for people? See, we live in a society that's gotten where it's been real easy. I really don't care who makes it as long as I make it. But God so loved the world, he died for the world. And so it, it should bother us that people ha have the opportunity to go to hell. But what would happen if we begin to pray? Do you know five of the miracles that were associated that Jesus did were associated with and Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with sympathy for mankind. And so as I read that, I thought, we live in a world right now, and if you haven't seen this, open your eyes. We live in a world that's hurting. We live in a world that's confused. We live in a world that's extremely angry right now. And if not careful, I can get caught up in that, and I can begin to look and I think, so what? So what? But I said this to us, and I said, Lord, fill me with compassion. Fill me with compassion. How many of you have been to the grocery store lately and see people snarl at you for not wearing a mask or wearing a mask? I've seen it. But Lord, fill me with compassion. Fill me with compassion. And I believe that was what ended up happening with Abraham that he said, I, I want to stand in the gap. I don't want people to die and go to hell. I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand and just, just bow your head. Why don't you stand and bow your head? See, I end this series today to give you hope. God wants a partner with you. God will hear your prayers just like he heard Abraham's. But am I disciplined enough to pray? Am I disciplined enough to stand? I mean, we had numerous ones down here at the altar of the first service that were crying out for family members. We need a move of God. And so you know what? I can be real selfish with my life. 
I can go through this life and have the thought, you know, Lord, bless me and my wife, my two kids, us four, no more. Or I can go through this life and I can get moved with compassion toward people. I can come to a place where I'm too busy. Too busy, Pastor. Too busy to pray. I don't, I don't have time. It's a Thursday evening. Okay. Just the compassion of God. I'm going to back up on that. But the Lord began to deal with me on my heart. I get too busy for people I'm too busy and I'm not just saying your family I'm, I'm saying for humanity there, there needs to be a cry within us for mankind because there is a day of judgment that's going to take place and I believe we're a lot closer to that than we realize with everything that's going on in our world so what I'm going to do and I'm, not, I'm not preaching condemnation okay preaching a wake up I, I count it a great privilege and I can go before the creator I'm just dust and ashes but I can go before the creator and that he would listen to me that he would actually want to hear my prayers so I'm going to ask you to bow your head right there where you're at Father God you know the condition of every one of our hearts in here right now Lord, you know hearts in here that have children, grandchildren, siblings that, Father God, if you were to come home today, I don't know they would make it. But you hear the prayers of the righteous. You hear our calls. You said, I I know how to rescue those. And so, Father God, right, right now, We pray for family members. Lord, lift them up. We lift them up. Father God, we stand before you right now. And and with a heart toward our heart, we say, Lord, we claim their souls for eternity. We speak life back into them, Lord. We speak the blood of Jesus. We speak salvation over them. Father God, even today, that if there's ones that are in this room right now, that you have the thought, would, even, would anyone even miss me if I was to leave this earth to this day? Would, even, would anybody even know that I wasn't here anymore? And if that's you today and you feel that way, that, that I've been rejected, I've been kicked around, I, I want you to come forward, but I want others to come forward today to say, I, I, I'll stand in the gap, Lord. I'll I'll stand and I'll pray and I ask right now another thing for the altar call today where you may say, Lord, fill me with compassion because anytime there was compassion, Jesus would move in miracle power. So I don't know what some of you need today, but I believe our God's a miracle. I believe God will hear our prayers if we'll come before him today. And so again, as they get ready to sing, I welcome you. I welcome you to come down here. Come to the altars and we'll pray for you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.